And thank you, Miss Sue Ann. And good morning again. All right, let's see here. Children's Church this morning, it's like Brother Ernie and Lisa have that taken care of. So 12 and under, they'd like to go over for Children's Church. Encourage you over for that. And if you want to go ahead and mark in your hymnals, of course, uh, we're going to, as I said, we'll be singing the songs listed in the bulletin during uh, service. So uh, we'll use 295, Jesus Paid It All, for uh, our hymn of invitation. So, uh, all right. Well, certainly it is good to be here with you this morning. It is always a privilege to share God's Word with you, but especially today, especially on this Resurrection Sunday 2021. I was thinking last night as I uh, was writing this sermon, putting everything together, wow, how things have changed a lot in a year. Because if you recall, last year on Easter Sunday, a breezy Easter Sunday, as I recall. It was pretty. It was a little cool. But you all were in the parking lot in your cars. And Tony and I were up here in the church on the, on the steps. And we had our Easter service. We weren't really sure what uh, the year coming would hold for us. But just as the song, uh, as Sue Ann, I can face tomorrow because he lives. And we did. And here we are back to Easter Sunday again, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can think of no greater blessing, no other place that I would rather be than here today. We have, for the past few weeks, looked at the events and the people surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. We've seen how that they thought he was a joke of a king. We witnessed their lack of mercy. We witnessed Jesus extending mercy even on the cross. We saw the wrath of God in the dark hours between noon and three. We've seen God come to Calvary. This morning, as we conclude this series and as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I want to look at the responses to the cross. The responses to the cross. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Now Luke gives us just a brief look, a brief account of the responses to the death of Jesus Christ. The response of the soldiers, the response of the crowd, and then the response of the followers of Jesus. And in kind of an odd way, all of the responses, though different, were the correct responses for those individual groups of people. The soldiers responded the way they should have. The crowd responded the way they should have. And the, even the followers, the believers of Jesus Christ responded the way that they should have responded. Together, they give us a good picture of the full response that should be really required of us all. When we look at the response in these three verses that we'll cover, uh, 47 through 49, it gives us a combined response of each and every person. Many of us in this room will be able to easily identify with these responses. 
We've been through over the past few weeks and, and even today through the most solemn moment in the history of man, the death of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we've come to understand that he took the full wrath of God against the sins of all who would ever believe. And we've seen God's wrath on display. The darkness, the earthquake, the tearing of the veil from top to bottom in the Holy of Holies. And he poured out that judgment upon his son in the place of sinners. And at that point, the new covenant was introduced. It was the end of the temple. It was the end of the priesthood. It was the end of the sacrificial system. All that old dispensation, the moment Jesus died, all of that was gone. All of that was made obsolete. So how did these people respond? And more importantly, <clears throat> we have to ask ourselves, how do I respond? How do I respond to the death of Jesus on the cross? So we'll begin uh, by reading Luke 23, 47 through 49. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Three groups of people, three different responses to the same thing that they witnessed, the same action, the death of Jesus on the cross. Who's the first group that <clears throat> Luke mentions? It's the Roman soldiers. Verse 47, they were the convinced. They were the convinced. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly, this was a righteous man. It's interesting to look at what Matthew and Mark say about the centurion. Very similar words, but Matthew goes a little further. In Matthew 27, verse 54, Now when the centurion and they that were with him Watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And Mark, in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 39, and when the centurion which stood over against him, or the opposite side, saw that he cried out so and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. A Roman centurion was a commander of 100 men. His company would have been called a century. And the easiest way that I can explain that so that we might have some kind of understanding, it's about like a regular infantry company today. About 100, give or take, men. And a captain is the one that's usually over that kind of a company. So this man would have been just a common soldier, and certainly all of the men that were with him were just common soldiers. But we have to understand something about this response that these men made. Matthew said all that were with him. 
We don't know for sure how many in the company came that day to the cross of Calvary. We, we know at least four and the centurion. We know that for, for true from the scriptures. We don't know that much about these men beyond the fact that they were assigned to this particular portion of the world and it was their job this day to come and crucify three men condemned to die. Probably just like they had done many other days before. But there was something different. There was something different on this day that these men would have witnessed. And we have to remember something. These are the soldiers that would have been with Jesus from the very beginning. From the very beginning of the trial. They didn't just let Jesus walk in unaccompanied. They didn't just send Jesus down to be flogged unaccompanied. They had soldiers that escorted him. These would have been those same men. So they would have heard all of the charges of the people of Israel. They would have heard the procreator, Pilate, say, I find no guilt in this man. They would have been taking place in the scourging or the whipping of Jesus. They would have been mocking Jesus. They would have put the crown on his head, the, the old soldier's robe on his back and, and mocking him and spitting on him and slapping him. That's the group of soldiers that we are talking about. They would have been the ones that as he walked up the road to go to Calvary that would have said, you are going to have to help this man carry this cross. They would have been the ones that nailed his hands and his feet to the wood. They would have been the soldiers that would have dropped that cross down into the hole and still mocking him, offering him wine, treating him like the fake king that they thought he was. That's who these soldiers were. That's what we know. We know that he, they would have all been around the foot of the cross as they divided up his garments and cast lots for his vesture or his outer cloak. They would have heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They would have heard him say, Behold thy mother, behold thy son, preparing care for his mother with the disciple John. They would have heard all of Jesus' words from the cross and did hear. They would have experienced the darkness from noon till three. Yes, this was a very different day for them. This was a very different day in the way that Jesus acted and reacted because he didn't react, did he? He didn't curse them. He didn't cry out as being a victim of injustice. He asked for mercy for God the Father upon the people that were doing this. And they heard this. There was really no category for someone being crucified to act the way that Jesus acted because all that we see Jesus acting like is a savior this was very different for these soldiers this day it was very different from what they had experienced they heard him promise paradise to the thief who had repented and then Suddenly, darkness, an earthquake, 
things that they would not have ever experienced before without having been told we have a an eclipse coming. Of course, we went over that, if we recall. An eclipse is impossible during a full moon. Darkness for three hours. And we discussed that last week. This is not like darkness at an eclipse. You know, at an eclipse, you can, it's just that weird, hazy kind of dark, but you can still see. The darkness that they experienced here was that such that they could not move. You could not see your hand in front of your face. Complete absence of light. Earthquake so strong it split rock. They would have had to witness these things. And they did. And it made a difference. And it changed them. They were convinced. They had not ever seen anything like this before. So we see fear. And it's the kind of fear that's typical when people realize the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's the kind of fear that whenever it dawned on them, we have just crucified, we have just nailed to a, a cross the Son of God. That's the kind of fear that these soldiers experienced. What we're witnessing here in these accounts between Luke, Matthew, and Mark is actually the first converts after the death of Christ. Because we see through all three accounts that we find out that the centurion glorified God. Do we understand what that means? He worshiped God. He glorified God. And Matthew says that those that were with him and they said, this is a righteous man. This truly was the Son of God. They had been listening. Because what were the Jews, very Jews, accusing him of doing? What was his crime? He said that he was the Son of God. No, in fact, the Romans testify, truly, this was the Son of God. These men, these Roman soldiers, were convinced and all of us at some point in our life, in the same way, is convinced that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he was. And what is that response? Once you realize that, you have to confess it. You have no choice but to confess it. And what do we see the Roman soldiers themselves doing? Confessing Jesus as the Son of God. And worshiping God. Glorifying God. And that's what we witness with the first response that Luke tells us. And it's the right response. It's how we should respond. I want us to think about something else. In the same way that the Romans thought as they watched Jesus go through the trial, as they watched Jesus proceed up to the, the hill of Calvary carrying the cross, as they nailed his hands and feet to the, to the cross and they dropped that thing in there and and all the people walking around mocking and, and making fun of him and him reacting completely different than anyone else they had ever seen. Have we ever thought about the fact that people look at us as Christians much in the same way as they did Jesus, those Roman soldiers did Jesus that day? They look to see if a Christian reacts differently to situations that other people act differently to. 
And they judge our faith and they judge our genuineness off of how we react to a, a, a situation versus how they would react to a situation or how the world would react to a situation. And I think this goes to even accentuate the effect that that has. Our witness for Christ is the only thing that we have, folks. And the way that we have that witness for Christ is the way that we live our lives. Jesus was a witness for himself in the way that he died, and it brought five Roman soldiers to the point of glorifying God and confessing him as the Son of God. Just because of how, how he acted and reacted. And we have that same kind of responsibility too. And that's why it pleases me so very much on this day, on this Resurrection Day, this Easter Sunday, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, to tell everyone that He is risen, that our Savior is risen, that He revoked death that day, that Sunday morning that He raised on the first day of the week, when the women looked and peeked in and they found the empty tomb, that secured salvation for all who would accept him. And with that, I'd like for us to open our hymnals to number 315. We should have the words behind us. Christ arose. We're going to sing all three verses of this hymn. And, and what I would love to hear is those of us that understand what this means that Christ arose let us sing as we are redeemed let us sing with the joy in our hearts that we have a Savior that loved us enough that he went to Calvary's cross and he died and he was buried and he rose again so that we might have a hope of eternal life 315 Christ
And because he rose, we have that hope. Now there's a second group that Luke outlines in verse 48. The convicted. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. Boy, what a week for these folks. Do we remember on Friday before, the week before, Sunday, actually? We talked about that briefly last week as Palm Sunday. Do we recall why the people greeting Jesus as Messiah, their Savior, their Son of David, coming to take their throne, waving palms, joy, great joy, excitement, the most excitement, the most joy that we could ever imagine, Jesus experienced coming in to Jerusalem. And then what happened? As they hailed him the king of and their Messiah on Sunday, joy was turned a few days later by Friday morning to not joy, but extreme anger, hatred, animosity. They scream out in unison and not praise be to the Messiah, but crucify him. Crucify him. Let the blood, his blood be upon us and our children. We will not have this man to lead us. What a week. Could you imagine the, what a roller coaster ride for these people? The emotion that they felt, the joy on one Sunday, the, the hate, the mockery, the animosity by Friday. And here they're gathered at Calvary to continue their mockery. Their animosity pours out. If you be the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. We remember the words as we studied that a couple of weeks ago. That's this crowd that Luke describes in verse 48. That's the crowd that had once said, he will reign over us as our Messiah, that suddenly says, let his blood be on us and our children on Friday. We want him crucified. And now what is their response? Fear. Beating their breast. Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Does that sound familiar? When the publican and the Pharisee were praying, the Pharisee looked up toward heaven and said, God, thank you that I'm not such as other men, as this sinner, this tax collector. But the tax collector would not even look up toward heaven. We remember the story that Jesus told? The tax collector wouldn't even look up and was beating his breast and said, Father, be merciful unto me, a sinner. That's what these people are doing as they're walking off the hill on this Passover day. Remember, that's why they were there. All of the throngs and throngs of people were there because it was Passover. The day that they would sacrifice, the day that their sins would be atoned for by the, by the blood of bulls and goats and sheep. 
to be a joyous day. They had started it off as a day full of mockery of Jesus, the supposed king of the Jews. And those that followed him up on the hill to, take, to be able to witness all of this coming to an end continued in the mockery and the big joke and they were going to go down after this was over with and they were going to go ahead and make their sacrifices and have a joyous time. And it was joy and it was funny except when they were leaving, it was not. Things had turned for them too. This is fear. This beating on the chest is fear. Because just like the Roman soldiers who had no idea of the supernatural things that was going on around them with the, the, the darkness, the earthquake, they knew. They knew because they had been taught. They knew because they had scribes there that were experts in the scriptures because they had been using him them to accuse Jesus. They knew that this was the wrath of God. And when they come down off that hill, they knew they had done it. They knew we've done it now. Fear is what brought them off that hill and not joy. As they come down beating their chest. And that's a right response. That's a commanded response. Fear or terror over our guilt or our rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior. That kind of fear, which we, they rejected him fully and wholly. They rejected Jesus Christ, their Messiah, who they had looked for, who they had prayed for, who the prophets had prophesied, and Jesus fulfilled each and every prophecy that was prophesied about the coming Messiah. They rejected him, just as people reject Jesus Christ today as Savior. It's no different. None. So fear is the right response. Once you realize that you have rejected the Son of God, once you have rejected the Savior, fear. And that fear didn't just end when they came down off that hill. When the lights came back at 3 o'clock, I imagine they made a pretty quick exit off the top of that hill. Scared to death, terrorized, great fear. And it would grow day by day. The guilt would get heavier every day. And when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, if you want to look over there with me. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do you think that Peter and the other apostles was preaching to them? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And how many people do you think that was actually hearing this sermon on the day of Pentecost was there at the hill of Calvary? Several. But all of them were in Jerusalem. Remember what happened? It was dark over the whole land. The earth shook over the whole land. And those that were not on top of the hill at Calvary were certainly in or near around the temple. And guess what they heard? The sound of the veil being torn. 
And then what else did, do we recall what else Matthew said happened on the day that Jesus Christ resurrected? Remember that? The graves burst open of the saints and they went about Jerusalem testifying of the power of Jesus Christ. All that guilt was building for 40 days it built. That weight built and built and built into a burden to where they could not bear it. And then on the day of Pentecost when Peter told them what they did, what was their response? Their hearts were pricked, it says. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then their reply in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you know what the apostles and Peter did continue to do day after day and week after week? They continued to preach the same message of Jesus and him crucified. And what happened? Well, if you look in chapters, verse, uh, chapters 3 and 4, you'll see that people kept coming to know salvation through Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, chapter 4, verse 4, says this. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So the reaction to Christ coming off that hill, beating their chest, the guilt, the weight of that guilt is a right response. And we see the apostles work on the day of Pentecost and thereafter a result of that response. Just like we should see when people realize that they have rejected the Son of God, the, son, the only hope for salvation, the only hope for eternal life, fear and guilt should build in. I remember it myself. I remember the guilt continuing to build each Sunday that I would sit about the fourth pew back. Each Sunday, my grip would get tighter on the back of that pew. There's probably nail marks still there today is how hard I squeezed that pew. Each Sunday, that guilt continued to build, continued to build until I said, I can take this no more. My heart was pricked. Men and brethren, what must I do? And I came forward and repented. Just as Peter had commanded, it's no different today. It is no different. And it was the only relief that I could have from my guilt. And it's the same today. It's the same right reaction that we've seen 2,000 years ago from the people that rejected Christ to the people that reject Christ still today. It's the same reaction. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. Confession and repentance. Do we recall what Jesus said? Come unto me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. The burden of sin, the burden of guilt is heavy, folks. Some of you remember it. Some of you, time has caused you to forget, and that's a blessing. 
But the burden of sin and the burden of guilt is a heavy burden, and Jesus wants to take that away from you. And that's why he came. And that's why we preach the good news of his resurrection today. We're going to sing number 312. He lives. And that's the acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is. When we sing this song about a risen Savior and that he lives, and he lives within our hearts, as the word sung. We're going to sing all three verses, if you would, sing with me. 312, he lives.
Amen. And that brings us to our last group. The last group that Luke records a reaction about, and that's the believers, the followers. They went through these same emotions too. They were there when he was welcomed as Messiah into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they were there on Friday when he was convicted and tried and beaten, taken to the hill, crucified. They were there whenever he heard, they heard him say the same thing, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were present at the darkness. They felt the earthquake. They seen the compassion to the thief. This was nothing new. They'd been with Jesus for three years. He'd been displaying compassion and asking for forgiveness for people the whole time. And they were standing there, as the gospel writer says, beholding. They were dumbfounded. They really didn't get it at this point because they were witnessing Jesus, the rabbi, their mentor, their teacher, dying right in front of their very eyes. They had listened to him be mocked, made fun of, spit upon, beaten, cursed, for the last six hours and he made no retribution to their amazement. The scriptures doesn't tell us this but it's only natural for us to assume this because they had followed Jesus for three years. He had taught them for three years and half of that time he's trying to prepare them for what they're seeing and they still can't believe what they're seeing. Jesus Christ who they had confessed was the son of God hanging on a cross, dying, watching the life drain out of him. They're dumbfounded. And it's over. And if the cross is all that there is, if it was the end, they would have the right response as well. Now, I can kind of share in the amazement, the being dumbfounded in how Jesus, just in what we have, and I'm not very good at, at painting pictures with words, but I try to do my best so that we can truly understand what Jesus went through, but they were there. They witnessed the horrors of what the cross was. They were witnessing the end, or so they thought. And therefore, if the cross, if the death of Jesus was it, if that was the end, that would be a right response. And in many ways, it's still a right response for us to be in amazement at the way that Jesus Christ was treated. But we understand, just as they did, that it was necessary, and that's what he was trying to teach and, and have them to understand the whole time. That all these things are necessary. So they have this amazement, this heartbreak, this extreme fear and agony until you look over in the next chapter. Luke 24, 
verses 1 through 6. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. All of that despair, all of that hope that had been crushed on Friday, all of that pain and sadness turns into great joy on Sunday morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. That's exactly what he had been teaching them for a year and a half. That's exactly what he had even told them about just so as Noah or Jonah was in the, in the belly of the whale for three days. The son of man shall be in the belly of the earth. Joy. And that's the right response for us today is joy. When we come into his house, when we take this loaf and this cup, joy. Because it's a reminder in remembrance of me across that table. Oftentimes we don't do our communion in remembrance of Jesus. We do it as just a habit. Here's the bread, here's the drink. It was never meant for that. Shame on us if we ever allow ourselves to come to that where we cannot take communion with joy. If we cannot take our communion with a full knowledge of what Jesus Christ went to, went through for us on behalf of us. When he sat there on that Thursday night with his disciples and said, this is my body. And this is my blood. No, not literal flesh, not literal blood, but the symbol that his body would be broken and crushed for our behalf. The symbol that his blood would be shed to cover the sins as the old sacrificial system is going out and the new covenant is coming in. That's what the loaf and the cup is about. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. Is the joy that we as believers, those that accept Jesus Christ as Savior, should have in knowing that our eternity is secured through his sacrifice. And that's why we're here today. That's why I'm pleased today to share that good news. That we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me. Where does he live? He lives in our heart. So when we leave here today, when we walk out of this building today, let us walk out of here with our hearts full of joy, full of Christ, and full of love. Because that's exactly the way he lived his life. So I ask you this morning, what's your response? Are you convinced? Are you convicted? 
is their joy. The cross demands a response. If you're convicted and you want to change that and to get rid of that heavy guilt, that weight of that guilt, that burden, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'll just quote Peter. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe there's some here that was like the Jews coming off the hill. Maybe we've made a commitment to God some time ago, but then we've somehow, some way turned our back on that. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Repent. Get yourself back in a right relationship with the Lord and move forward and serve Him with a joyful heart. Don't allow that guilt to weigh your heart down. Let Him relieve that burden. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Doesn't all the scriptures make perfect sense how they fit together in the wonderful way that God's Word works? Why will we just not heed what He says? We're going to sing a hymn of imitation. Jesus paid it all, and he did. All to him I owed. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's what we're going to be singing about. That's, this song represents the power of the cross and what that work did. If you have a decision to make, I want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing the first and the fourth verse of this hymn. Jesus paid it all, 295.